Have you ever taken a stroll through a graveyard? I know that's a loaded question. I'm sure most of you have been to a graveyard, whether at a funeral or gone to visit a grave or to help someone put new flowers on it. But have you ever walked through there just looking and thinking about the people buried there? I once interviewed a businessman in another city. I was doing it for a course I was taking. And I asked him how he handled things when they got really stressful. And he said, what I do is I tell my secretary, I'll be back in a minute. He said, and then I go to a nearby cemetery just up the road from his office. And he said, and I walk up and down those graves looking at the names of all those indispensable people. In other words, he was reminding himself that one day he too will die and when he dies, someone else will take over all the things he was working on or it'll just go to the wayside. Just recently, our family has gone through a death. and So the idea of someone dying and the sorrow accompanying that is very fresh in my mind. I think back to when Jesus died. Obviously, this is Easter when we were going to think about that. And that Jesus hung there on that cross on that Friday. And the people closest to him had a hope and a desire that he was going to free them from political oppression and do a lot of things that was never his intention. He tried to explain to them what his purpose for coming was, but they didn't remember that until after Easter. But on that weekend, Jesus dies on a, on a Friday, and they couldn't go to the tomb on Saturday because it's their Sabbath. But on Sunday morning, we find the women going to the grave, and their purpose in going was to properly prepare his body for burial. In other words, properly prepare him to be dead. But they found something else. They found an open grave. If you went to visit a loved one's grave soon after they died and it was dug up and the coffin was open and the body was gone, what would you think? Well, you would be horrified and terrified and you would call the authorities, someone has stolen this body, this is, this is awful. Well, those women didn't know exactly what to think. But Jesus appeared to them, and he, he told them to go tell his disciples what they had seen. And Peter and John go running down to see this empty tomb. And the Bible lets us know that when John got there and looked in, he believed right away. As I walk through a cemetery, I think about, I wonder which ones of these people died in the Lord, knowing that Jesus was their God, their Savior, and their Lord. And I imagine that day that's coming when Jesus comes back and it is resurrection day. And I can imagine those tombs bursting open and those, those headstones and those obelisks and the, all the ornate things we put on top of the ground just go flying in every direction. As people are being torn out of the ground, their bodies renewed, made like Christ's. And our souls are reunited with our body, and then we are forever with the Lord, both in soul, which is already there, and in soul and body. 
and our bodies are made new. That is the hope of a Christian. Without an empty tomb, there is no Christianity. So this Easter, I want to talk to you about an empty tomb. As you could see, uh, this past week, I took a stroll in the cemetery and just want to let you in on some of my thoughts there. And today we're going to be looking in the book of John and chapter 20. I, I want to start by saying welcome to the celebration. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We do that at Calvary every week on Sunday, but in reality we do it every day of our lives because he lives, we too shall live, the Bible says, and that he is the resurrection and the life. And since he's alive, we have no fear, no doubt that we will remain alive even when this body gives out in this earth. We don't die, we just leave here and go to be with Him. And so we are excited about that. And today, being the, being the Easter Sunday, the resurrection day, the, the anniversary of that, we are super excited about His resurrection. But let me read for you John chapter 20. And uh, first 18 verses it tells the story. I just want to give some comments about that afterwards. But it says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with, with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, and it's still Mary Magdalene, stood weeping outside the tomb. She came back, I guess, with Peter and John. And as she wept, she stopped, stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I, uh, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Lord God, add to your word. I pray that today every word of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. As we read this and, and looking at this, I, I want you to think about expectations versus reality. I, 
I, I'm a father of, of three children, grandfather so far of five, uh, praying for more to come. But uh, I, I, I know what it's like when a baby is born. You put all kind of expectations as a parent on that little baby that all it knows is it's hungry or it's sleepy or it needs a change of clothing. That's the only thing the baby knows. But man, we, we imagine the greatest things for those babies. We have great expectations. And some of those are met, some of those are exceeded. And in reality, some of them are disappointed at times. Not speaking to my kids, y'all. I, I appreciate you. And then you, as you get older as a kid, you think about Christmas. Man, you know what you want. You're asking for that new pony, you know. And what you get is a little toy pony, you know, instead. And so that expectation is kind of spoiled sometimes. Or maybe, again, it might be exceeded. Maybe you asked for a little and got a lot or got just what you asked for. The reality is in our lives we have a lot of expectations. And sometimes those expectations hit reality. In, in marriage, for instance... Uh, I, I tell young people I haven't not yet been married that women marry men expecting them never to change and men marry or expecting them to change I'm sorry and men marry women expecting them never to change and both of them are disappointed because men they just are who they are and, and women they they are a different creature than us and they can change more than a man can it seems and so sometimes our expectations are disappointed but the problem is not in our expectations being wrong, they're in our expectations not being the right expectations. It's not wrong to wish for the best, hope for the best, but it is wrong to expect something that's not within the realm of reality. You see, when you come to Jesus, what you will find is your expectations are too small and your reality is almost unbelievable. In fact, it would be unbelievable if we didn't have the solid evidence the Scripture tells us we have and that we see. The Bible tells us uh, about this resurrection of Jesus in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. This is how important it is that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. If you want to close every church in the world, go find the body of Jesus. That's all it would take. If you can prove Jesus did not rise from the dead beyond a shadow of a doubt, all churches would just shut their doors because this is what we hang it all on, that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose physically again from the dead. Well, that is the reality of our belief. That is the reality of, of what we see. And, and if we did not have the evidence that we find in this passage, we would not understand or, or we would not be able to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If you just heard the story, in fact, Jesus even said to Thomas, who doubted he rose from the dead, until he saw him physically in person, and Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who never see and yet believe. And so today, 2,000 years later, we believe in the historical record. We believe that uh, in the evidence that was given back then. But Jesus said we're blessed because we didn't see his resurrected body, even though it is still existing and it exists in heaven on its throne on his throne jesus in that body that rose from the dead is seated at the right hand of the father awaiting orders to come back in fact uh, in jerusalem the orthodox believers of judaism they believe the messiah is coming this year they are very excited they just had their big passover yesterday and uh and and today we celebrate the risen messiah who has already come died for us was buried and rose again and is fixing to come again and so we need to be ready for his second coming. Well, I, I read a lot here, and, 
And I could give you a lot of evidences of the, of the resurrection out of this text. For instance, that uh, the tomb was opened, the soldiers have disappeared, there was a guard of 16 men there, they were the, the, the highest trained, the best guard, and they took four-man shifts so that nobody would fall asleep, because if one of them fell asleep and that tomb was raided and robbed, all 16 would be put to death. So I promise you, they kept each other awake. And, and the tomb was sealed with a government seal. But when Mary and, and the other women got there, the tomb is empty. The soldiers are gone. And that just doesn't make any sense, especially since the soldiers were not put to death. And the Bible tells us that the leaders of the people then paid them off and paid off the officials and told them to say that, that the body had been stolen. But it doesn't make any sense. The Jewish leaders wouldn't steal the body because that gives credence to everything Jesus said. The soldiers wouldn't have done it because they could be put to death, and the disciples didn't do it, because honestly, they were all behind a locked door in an upper room, their knees knocking together, figuring they're next. If their leader had been killed, the thing you do in warfare is you kill the leader first, then you kill everybody else. And so that's what they were expecting, but what they found was an empty tomb, and what they became was, were bold witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want you to think about the expectations of these women as they get to the tomb. And by the way, uh, it talks about those linen cloths and the face mask, uh, the face uh, head covering being lying there. The way that is written, it symbolizes that Jesus was in that, those cloths and he just came out through the middle of them. He didn't unwrap, he didn't, nobody helped him take them off, the stone didn't roll away and he walked out. He came out through the cloth, through the rock, and he was just gone. The reason the rock wasn't there is the angels came and knocked it away so you could get in and see that he wasn't there so these women could get in and see that. So the women are on their way, and we read it here. They're on their way on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And in other accounts, the other gospels, they named the other women that came. There was another Mary. Uh, I think Martha might have been there as well. But they came, and the first expectation they had was to find a dead body. That's what they went to see. I, you saw the film club was walking around cemetery. I did not expect to see one of those people that were dead in their grave, standing up, walking around, talking in a physical body. I can promise you that film would have been shorter if I'd have seen that, but uh, I did not see that. Actually, haints don't scare me. I, I know what they are, and I know who, who reigns. But, but we go to a cemetery expecting to see a dead body. They went looking for a full tomb. Now, now think about this. Their greatest hope, their greatest expectation was to find death. That's not a good hope. That's not a good expectation. Yet, I know people even today that walk around looking for the death, looking around, uh, waiting and expecting everything to be dead. That's all they were hoping for, was to find Jesus' body still in that tomb. In other passages, it says they were talking to each other on their way there, like, what's going to happen? How are we going to get to the tomb? Because they knew that that guard was there. They probably knew that seal had been made. They were expected that they were going to serve a dead body. They were expecting to find something that wasn't there. They, they, what they were going to do was go in and fully prepare the body to be dead. I said that in the film. I, I want you to understand that, that. That they went expecting to serve Jesus after his death and to properly prepare. If you remember, he died on Friday. It was the day before their Sabbath, and it was the Passover Sabbath, which is the biggest one uh, for the Jewish people. 
And, and so he died about three. They didn't have much time to get him in a tomb because uh, you didn't want a dead person hanging on a cross through the Passover. And so they took him down quickly. They wrapped him up through what spices they had in there. But it was about 300 pounds they had, but it wasn't good enough. It, it wasn't a full preparation. So they had gone to prepare his body in a proper way, in a dignified way, in a, in a more careful way to stay dead. I, that didn't hit me till this year. I, I've thought about this, of course, all my life. But this year I thought, man, all they were going to do was to make sure that he didn't stink too bad while he was dead. I mean, the Bible promised Jesus in Psalm that his body would not see corruption. That is that God would not leave his son dead long enough for his body to begin to rot. So the spices were pointless, really. He, he wasn't going to stay dead that long. But that's all they expected. They wanted to do service to Jesus, and man, we ought to applaud him for that. Even though he was, a, to their mind, a dead leader, they still wanted to give him honor and respect and serve him. But their expectation was that they were just going to serve a dead body and in a, in a nice memorial kind of way. They also expected trouble. I mean, think about it. A few women, probably three. And, and by the way, understand the men are hiding. The women are going to the tomb. I, I admire their boldness, their courage. I admire their fearlessness. But they were going expecting trouble getting into the tomb. They were not going to be able to get in there very easily because, number one, it's a big stone sealing the mouth. It's, it's basically a small cave. And... and, and uh, Three men probably couldn't move that stone. It probably took a lot of men with levers and fulcrum and all that to, to move it and have it a good place to stand. And then it had a government seal on it. You're not supposed to break the government seal. I mean, uh, have you ever visited the tomb of the unknown soldier? If you cross the line to take a picture, the guard there will turn and bark at you, and you better back up because the gun he's carrying is loaded, and he is not going to allow you to get close to that Tomb. You can imagine a 16-man special team guard guarding that tomb. They expected to encounter soldiers, not only to the rock. They've got 16 soldiers standing in front of the tomb, four-man shifts, as I told you, guarding it, not letting anybody get through there. How are a few women going to get through specially trained, super special forces of the Roman army to get to a tomb they're not supposed to open anyway? Again, I admire their boldness. They were figuring out a way. Listen, some people think they can bend reality. These women, they, they, they may not have had the right expectation, but they were expecting somehow to get themselves to that body to serve Jesus. But all they expected was to encounter a stone and soldiers. And they expected, really, just to add to their grief. I, I am sure that that Friday night after Jesus had died and they rushed him into that tomb, a borrowed tomb, that they grieved. They grieved all day Saturday, I'm sure, all, all the, uh, the Passover Sabbath. I'm sure that they were grieving. But they had not had that opportunity to really just grieve over that dead body. And I, I think they went to maybe express their anguish and their grief together over the death of Jesus. Well, that was their expectations, a dead body, that they would serve a dead body. They expected trouble getting in. They expected pushback from the soldiers at least, and they expected that their grief would intensify and continue. 
But here's the reality that they found. Instead of a dead body, they found a risen Savior. <laughs> when, instead of a dead body, they found a risen Savior. In another gospel, the angel sees them and he says, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? In other words, man, you're in the wrong place to be looking for a living person. As I said, I went to that graveyard the other day. We went to film that, that little short clip. And trust me, I didn't expect to see any living people. Now, there were some other people visiting. They were there. But I didn't expect to see any of those people under those tombstones be alive, walking around, talking to me. And yet the angel asked the women as if, are you crazy? Are, have you lost your mind? Didn't you hear what he said? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And that, that question really convicts me. Because so many times we don't trust in a living Savior. We don't trust that Jesus is alive and he's still alive and he's alive today to save us when we call upon him, to bring salvation to our lives, to bring, to bring an abundant life into our life. They found a risen Savior. They found a life-giving Savior. Jesus had told Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, yet, even though he die, yet he shall live. Now, if you are the resurrection, you ought to expect to experience him having a resurrection. Wouldn't you say? But they found a life-giving Savior. In John 10.10, 10, the Bible says, Jesus said, I came that I might give life and give it more abundantly. He didn't come to bring us death. He came to bring us life. The Bible lets us know in Romans, because he rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead one day. That's what we're looking forward to. Now, a lot of people don't understand that necessarily. If, if I were to die in this moment, let me just explain what would happen. I, you don't know me. You don't see me. What you see is the body I live in. I really don't know what I look like. I hope it's better looking than this, but I don't know because I've never even seen myself. You haven't seen yourself. You just see the, the suit God made for you to live in while you're here. And so at the moment of my death, I leave this earth suit and I go to where Jesus is. That's what the Bible tells us. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And one day, he's going to raise everyone from the dead and reunite their soul and body. And that body is going to be like the one that Jesus had when he rose from the dead. There in a locked room, boom, there he's standing. He could go at the speed of thought, not just the speed of light. He could go faster than that. He could eat. He didn't have to eat. He could show up. He could disappear. He could do a whole bunch of things because he had a glorified, a resurrected body reunited with his soul. The Bible promises that we're also going to have that. And People ask, well, what about someone burned up in a fire? What about someone that drowned in the ocean, eaten by creatures, uh, you know, in the wilderness or, or in, the, in the water. Friend, thank God for modern science, at least for this. We now know that we have something in us called DNA. <laughs> if God made it the first time, he can make it the second time even better. He can tweak that DNA, and he really doesn't need the original matter to work with. He can make that, that body brand new. So trust me, all those bodies that have turned to nothing but ash and dust and are gone... He's going to bring them back together in that day. We look forward to that day. We found a life-giving Savior. Every day of our, that we breathe in this body, we breathe the spiritual life of the Son of God. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But it's not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I live now in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so our life is filled with the life of Jesus. And the other reality, the third reality is 
that they found a clear path. There was no hindrance to the empty tomb. Friend, let me just tell you something. If you want to meet Jesus, He will clear the path for you to get to Him. You don't have to worry about getting to Jesus if that is your desire. He will clear the path so you can get to Him. Some of you have never come to Him and said, Well, I've looked for God, but I've never been able to find Him. Well, maybe you weren't looking in the right place. He's not in a, in a graveyard. He is in heaven seated in a seat of power. And you come to Him, and when you come to someone in a seat of power, you don't come in all proud and demanding. You come in humble and needy and say, God, thank you. Jesus, thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead. And now I come to you to ask for your salvation, to ask for your help. And the Bible lets us know that He will not say no to someone seeking Him. He always says yes to those who are looking for Him. He is not far off. He is as close as your desire to know Him. These women found something else. They were looking for soldiers, but they found angels. <laughs> you know, three angels can beat a specialized military, highly trained attack team every time. Doesn't take a whole lot of them. And, and, and when we put all the different gospel accounts together, there were about three, at least three. We, three are mentioned. One sitting up on the rock, kind of like hanging out, waiting. You know, there, there was one inside the tomb at one point. There's three of them all told in, in Scripture. And I, I just think about those soldiers. The Bible tells us in, in another gospel, they just fell as dead men. The earth shook, the earthquake happened. They just fell down as dead men. I, I, I got a feeling those angels didn't show up in, in their invisible ways. They showed up in full armor, fully glowing, swords out, going, you want to try this one, big boy? And those guys just fell over like they were dead out of fright. And so when they woke up, they took off running. Those angels kind of probably chuckled. I got, I got a feeling they kind of toned it down for the women. But I believe when they showed up to those soldiers, they were like, you want to bring it on? And they just fell out. I don't know, but these women, when they get there, they don't find soldiers hindering them. They find angels helping them. I, I love that. I love that God commands his angels to be ministering spirits to us. That's what it says in Hebrews. We don't command angels. We don't tell them what to do. Uh, but God says he has angels that take care of us. And those angels were there to help those women at that moment. And so they didn't find enemy. They found friend. Were these gentle friends? They were to those women, but they were dangerous angels. Trust me. They were dangerous angels, but not to, not to these women. And they expected to add to their grief, but instead they found unlimited, never-ending, inexhaustible joy. You say, I, I don't know about that. I'm not very happy today. I didn't say happy. I said joy. Happiness is determined by my circumstances. If my circumstances are okay, I can have happiness. Joy comes from knowing Jesus. Some of the poorest, most needy people in the world that I've met that knew Jesus were the happiest, the most joyous people I ever met. And friend, let me just tell you, God is still giving us joy. He is still giving us joy. You see, He's still alive. And He wants to give us full joy. He still is giving that. And the celebration continues because his supply is never-ending. He is God. He never runs out. And these women, expecting to add to their grief, run away excited, crying out, he's risen, he is risen. In fact, the very first preachers of the gospel were women. For all my fundamentalist friends out there, just want to make that point. 
God chose women to be the very first preachers and proclaimers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they ran to the scaredy cat guy in the upper room and said, he's up. Guys, he is up and alive. And they come running down to see that empty tomb so that they too can believe. It is exciting to have that everlasting, inexhaustible, never-ending joy. I've only got one application question to ask you today, and it's this. What do you expect from Christ? What do you expect from Christ? Are your expectations low or high? The Bible says that he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask. And then here's the crazy part, or think. I cannot even imagine what God can do. And the Bible says he can go beyond my imagination. And so, do you expect salvation from Christ? Then fall on your knees before him in repentance. And let him know, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. Thank you for coming back from the dead for me. Do you need his personal presence in the dark because things around you are not as they should be? Come to him today and he will make sure you know he is there with you. Do you need light for your path? The Bible, he said, study these scriptures for in them you find eternal life. He said, and these are they that testify of me. You can find Christ in the pages of the Bible and you can find what he has for you so you can find light for your path there. This morning, I read a devotion from Chuck Lawless. He is the head of uh, the do- all doctrinal programs at Southeastern Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And you can go look him up, and uh, you can get daily devotions and daily uh, a list of different things to think about. But he wrote a devotion for today, and I read it this morning, and man, it rocked my world. So I, I wanted to read it to you, and I know that's dangerous, especially online, because I'll be looking down and reading. But it says this, It was essentially a cave in the earth, a hewn-out space in a rock. Perhaps there were others like it in the vicinity. It was originally a burial place for a rich man and his family, but it was still just another gravesite for the dead. It represented nothing but a sad end, even for its original owner, a wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. It was a place of darkness, especially when its entrance was covered by a large stone. There was no light on the inside. Silence reigned there, for no voices spoke from the inside of the tomb. It was a place of memory more than it was a place of hope. Finality hung in the air. No one ever came out of this place. Not this time, though. Somebody unique had been buried there. Somebody who had already announced he had no intention of staying there. It's okay to be buried in someone else's tomb when you don't plan to be there long anywhere. Anyway... No, this time, it was Jesus buried there. And his light filled the darkness. His cry of victory filled the silence. And he is alive today and forevermore. Father God, we pray that today, those who need you the most will seek you. Those who need to know you will find you. Those who come after you will find you not far off. That, Lord, those of us who know you will cry out to you and today find that you are an ever-present help in trouble. And right now, Lord, as we come to an end of just this service that we've been doing, Lord, may we be reminded of your life, your resurrection, and our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.